2: A one, a two, a one, two, three,
1: four!
2: (laughs) Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden buzz in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. Fifteenth hole, his driver's. Is he a caveman? Because it suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> oh,
0: G'day and welcome. This is golf. golf. Andrew Daddo's my name. A, uh, a busted golfing unit. I love the game. And I love talking to people who have uh, loved the game and played the game and, and really have stories to share about it. So today... We're talking to John Evans. He is a, uh, a PGA professional, nearly 50 years standing, uh, played in two British Opens. He's won five times around the world, two national championships. He's a TV commentator. He's, well, what is he? He's a raconteur. He's done antiques. He's done everything. He's a punter. He's a mad punter. He likes to go the long way uh, and has had success with a thousand and one shot. At the Zurich Classic. So anyway, look, he's terrific. He's a a very dear friend of mine, and I love picking his brain about golf. And today we're going to talk about match play and match play strategies, because fingers crossed, if the world writes itself on its axis and golf clubs turn back into four-person competitions, and we have things like club championships, we'll be playing match play. So we should be ready. We should be prepared. And John has played an awful lot of match play uh, professionally and also as a um, as a gambling golfer. You would have heard last time that we spoke to Johnny, talked about some of his gambling exploits and the people he's played with. So today we're going to delve deeply into that. Um, something to look out for is one of his tips, and it is something along the lines of to rely on your subconscious. That's the one that gets you home from the pub when you're absolutely stonkered. How do you make that a golf tip? Well, you'll find out. So we started the conversation with how do you go about the um, the eternal problem of gimmies. This is John Evans, professional golfer, um, and always a barrel of fun. I just want to go to that gimme giving, you know, that good good scenario. What's a fair distance? To not give. I mean, well, like I'm, I'm, I'm what I'm trying to do is, I'm, I'm trying to think for the amateur golfer. You know, what's a reasonable dif- distance to to say I'll see that in, or I won't see that in?
2: I don't think there's any distance. I think I think it's all about the psychological moment. Um, you know, the general consensus amongst amateurs is that if it's the length of the putter grip. Um, it's a gimme. Well, what about the length of Adam's, Adam Scott's putter grip? It's about four foot long or five foot long. So if, if Adam had got the gimme, on, he'd have won the tournament. So my view is it's all about the timing. Um, and traditionally, a good match player would give two or three putts, even up to four or five feet, on the first five or six holes of an 18-hole match. And then... Just when things were getting a bit tight, and say, "Oh, you better putt that one," and that, and that's when the pressure comes on. that the guy hasn't had a putt; he, hasn't, he doesn't know if he's going to hold it or not. He's so he's in mystery land. So the timing of of your decision to either give a putt, uh, well, to give a putt is actually, I think, more crucial than the length. I've I've not given putts of a foot and seen people miss them. All right. and I and I've. And I've given a putt of five foot, and I knew the guy would never miss. We won a tournament once. I remember uh, it was the Good Old Boys tournament at Millbrook in Queenstown, Andrew. You'd, you'd love it. It, was, it. Was a mate of mine who was a very close friend of Jack Newton's, Lee Davis, started a big group of golfers in America, and basically got their insurance business, which made a whole lot of sense. But he came down. He started the chapter in Australia and the chapter in New Zealand of the Good Old Boys, and he would come down once a year. We'd have a tournament. And I played with a a very nice real estate agent, a farming mate of mine, and a lovely lady whose husband was the boss of uh, the Sky Casino in uh, Queenstown. And I said to them, I said, listen, we're going to win this. They said, how do you know that? I said, well, if you think you're going to hold the putt, I'm going to give it to you. So on the first hole, the farmer had a putt from about five feet. I said, are you going to hold this one, Whitey? He said, yep. I said, pick it up. So we won by about 10, right? And... uh, when we went to the presentation, Lee said to me, he "said Well, what do you think the secret of the day today was?" I said, "The secret of the day was the confidence of my partners." <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: okay. So, first of all, the good old boy sounds like a, a really um, a really lame motorcycle gang. Actually, in, in fact, it probably sounds like a cyclist gang, an older cyclist, <laughs> older bunch of no, like I tell you guys.
2: what, we had it. There, there were a few there were a few desperates amongst them, but we used to have at the finish, you would have a toss-off for who paid all the bills for the day. So so if you happened to lose the toss-off and and everybody went in the toss-offs, there might be 24 guys. So so you had a 1 in 24 chance of losing, but if you lost, it was a significant penalty. So, I mean, we are at Melbrook. I think the bill was about three and a half thousand, you know, for the drinks and and the snacks. So you didn't want to lose. So there were numerous methods of, of evading the loss, none of them very effective. Right. But um everybody was trying desperately to 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 avoid. And it was a continuous match play. It was like a match play tournament. So you you played against Joe and if Joe lost he was out and he was still in and you were out. And if it, if Joe won, he was out. So so it was a fairly that was a more harrowing than the golf.
0: Okay. Hey, just with the, with the thing with the farmer Joe and you said do you think you'll putt this? And he says, yeah. Do you think you'll get this in? And he says, yes. And you say, pick it up. What's that doing to his psyche in the match moving well, forward?
2: Well, basically, you want to hold a hole putt, you've got to have attention and intention. So the attention is the part where you walk around the various spots on the green to make sure that it's either uphill or downhill, or right to left, or left to right, or straight. And you determine that. That's the attention part. And then the intention part is I intend to hold this. And if you don't intend to hold it, you won't. So, so the intention part is the critical bit. Now, if you look at the great putters, I mean, it's very interesting today. They described uh, the, the guy who led for three rounds. Um, he's got a sign an app on his phone that tells him he's the best putter in the world sadly three part of the last today to, to, to drop out of the playoff but I'm pretty sure that Adam Scott hasn't got one of those signs on his bag <laughs> So
0: if you say so I mean it's really interesting like you know why does, why don't all professional golfers have a tra- a mental training that says I intend to sink every putt from 10 feet I mean surely that surely that's what should be going on in their mind.
2: Well, I think they do now. I, 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 wish they'd been around, I wish they'd been around when I was playing, but, um, uh, but uh, I think there's a lot of uh, attention now to the process of understanding the mental side of the game. And Dave Peltz is, is probably the leader of the pack in that regard. And some of his messages are very, very simple, very, very simple and very effective. And he's had success with people like Tom Kite, who who probably got more out of his game than anybody else you've ever seen. And if you look at the guy guy that won that tournament today, uh, Kistner, he won the match play, uh, beat all the good players in the match play, which was a WGC event, and he had lost five playoffs in, a, in, in five out of five playoffs previously. And here he is in a playoff with five other guys. Now, nothing could be more difficult than that. Mm. But he still believes he's a great putter. And he is a great putter. And because of his belief, he is a great putter.
0: Okay. This is the Wyndham Championship you're talking about. So this took the Wyndham place. Wyndham Championship. So that which, finished which, which on the... Took, uh, this place, on the...
2: Took, took place, yeah, the finish this morning. Or, or probably not this morning, your time, but... Anyway, it was held at the Sedgefield course, which was the Donald Ross course, and the last hole's normally a par five, and it's a par four for the men. Very difficult. You drive it to a lie and then have to hit it to a green above you, which has got to be the hardest shot in the game. And the players, it was incredible. Some of their up and downs to, to uh, keep keep in the in the game were fantastic. But Kester hit a great drive, a great seven iron, and hold a great putt to win. And, and I think he has he has the best attitude to putting on the tour.
0: I think. Okay, so in watching, seven. that, so it's a, it's a good example actually, and it's like the um, it's like the bronze medal playoff as well for the men, where they had, four, four, was that six or seven? Was it seven? Seven. Seven, seven, seven. players. So that just became a, that, like a match play smackdown, didn't it? I mean, that was actually fascinating to watch. And you've got Rory McIlroy, who you know it should be the. Well, we keep thinking it should be the best in the world, and he leaves his final putt short to miss out. So, what what is it? Is the putting the go? Is the putting the answer in these match play situations? Is that where it all?
2: Yeah, I don't think you can win at match play by ball striking, unless the other player's a complete idiot. You know, because the the, the good putter. Um, you're on the green. The two of you are on the green. One guy might be six foot away, and you're fifteen foot away. You hold the fifteen footer. He's in big trouble.
0: Yeah, unless
2: he has a steely mind and has figured out you can hold it first. And I think that's a critical part. Is you when you're when you're on the green, you should assume your player will hold it, even if he's in a bunker. That like that, and that's where Norman fell down, in my view, in a couple of his major losses. He didn't expect Tway to hold a bunker shot, and he didn't expect Larry Mize, and no one would ever expect anybody to hold from where Larry Mize holds because nobody's ever got up and down from there and he holds it. So, But if you have the attitude, I I think he could hold this and therefore I must hold mine, you've come back to that message about intention.
0: Right. And intention really is a state of mind.
2: Listen, do you love love the match play, like match play over stroke play? Well, I think the beautiful part about it is that – P.G. Woodhouse described it beautifully when he said that um, uh, Alice B. Toklas managed to win the 14th hole after her ball rolled down a creek for about 250 yards and she won it with a 27 to her opponent's 28. (laughs) So the beautiful part of match play, nobody writes down the score. So you might win a match two and one and the people think, well, that was a great effort. You've gone around in 94. The other black just went round in ninety five. Right. Um, has, has, I think that match play is great. Match, but match play is match plays the game actually. If you go yeah. right back for the first four hundred years of the game, there, it was four ball match play. That was it. There wasn't all foursomes. Sorry, foursomes or four ball match play. There, mainly foursomes. So there was no the individual the concept of an individual score. Didn't come in until probably 1830, 1840. Okay. And the game started in before 1440.
0: Okay. And with your personal success, you seem to have, from memory, more success in foursomes than you did individually. So is that just the, the really loving playing with being being part of a team?
2: Wasn't quite. I, I did actually win a few more tournaments individually than the foursomes. Oh, okay. But however, okay. I was... I was relatively successful at foursomes, and I think the reason I think was for exactly the for exactly the same reasons as I was successful playing big money gambling matches was I wouldn't make a mistake, so and I could recover from other mistakes. So, the, although we didn't recover once, but anyway, the um, <laughs> what happened. The, the 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 idea is, is that you if you don't put your opponent if you don't put your opponent into trouble, well I could tell that story because uh nifty ne- nifty neville mullins and I were 10 in front in the New South Wales Professional Foursome Championship at Cromer. Ten in front with eight to go, eight holes. If it had been match play, we would have done ten and eight. But anyway, this is over 36 holes, and we were playing with Bruce Hodson from uh uh Bathurst. And Bugsy Moran from, from the Gold Coast. And I was playing with Nifty Neville Mullins, who was a prodigious hitter. You know, he was the longest hitter. He once won a long drive contest where he drove it over the boat and they were looking in front of the boat to see where the ball landed. So he was prodigiously long. So we get onto the 10th hole and he said to me, he said, drive it up the right and I'll knock it on the green, par five. I said, oh, okay. So I hit it up the middle, right up the middle. But there was a great big gum tree in front of us. Would have been 120 foot high. And I said, right on, Nifty. I said, just hit a four iron out the right there. I'll pitch it on. We'll make four or five and away we go. Another hole locked up. He said, no, no. He said, I'm going for the green. I said, Nifty, four iron out the right. I'll pitch it on. We'll make four or five. We'll, we'll a white one up." He said, no, no. I'm going for the green. So he hits this driver off the ground. A driver. The tree's 20 foot high and it's soaring, this ball. He flushes it. And I thought, well, he might have pulled this off. Anyway, it hits the top of the of the uh, eucalypt, which is probably still there, It'll be a bit higher now. And the ball rattles around and drops down, it drops straight into a xeranthia. That's a black boy. His botanical name is xeranthia. So the ball drops down into the xeranthia. And rather foolishly, I decided to play it. But well, if you've ever been in a around there, it's not a good idea. Right. So, anyway, I had a swat at it and didn't move it. He then got the shits and had a bigger swat at it, and he was much stronger than me. He only barely moved it. Anyway, we took 11. Right. So that was six over. And Bugsy and, 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 and uh, Bugsy and uh, Bags, they birdied the hole. So now we're only three in front. We've gone from 10 in front to three. We're only one hole. So the next hole's a par three. So I hit it into the bunker. It was my fault. No, he hit it in the bunker. That was his fault. He hit it in the bunker. <laughs> and I hit it out to about five feet. And he missed it, right? So now we're only two in front. Anyway, the upshot of it all was they won by one straight. And they couldn't stop laughing going up the last hole. They were laughing. Laughing fit to kill at the stupidity of us. And they were right. We were stupid. But the secret was, as I said before, is don't make a mistake. If if, back, if, if uh, Nifty hits it out the right with a four iron, then even if I hit it in the bunker, which I wouldn't have done, I'd hit it on the green, but even if I'd hit it in the bunker, we'd have made six and it wouldn't have mattered. Right. But we took 11.
0: Um, it- <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned playing for money and playing for big money. So what's harder, playing for, playing with a friend for big money or playing a field for a tournament victory and and big money as well?
2: Well, it's an interesting thing. I think most pros who've, who've um, played competitively would say that the challenge of... Being in the fight at the end of a tournament um, is exhilarating, um, and something that we're aiming. To, we want to get there. We really want to get to that place where we can compete and, and demonstrate our ability to overcome the pressures and win the tournament. And so, the money's irrelevant in those circumstances. That's the interesting part. It's the desire to win and the ability to overcome your own weaknesses. Whether they be physical or mental, uh, is is the deal. Money's irrelevant. So, if you were winning, a, I, I'd say the pressures are nearly not nearly not quite the same, but nearly as great. Winning, say, a hundred thousand dollar tournament today, and winning a ten million dollar tournament today, the the pressures are almost equal. Now, the difference is playing for a lot of money, is that not only can you win. Say so in our day, 1971, ten thousand dollars a corner, which was a lot of money then. I'm not sure it could have bought a house, but it would have bought a fair bit of one, right? So, so the pressure was you could win the ten, but you could also lose the ten. You have the you have the dual pressure. Finishing square sometimes was a huge achievement because right. you hadn't lost the ten. Now, do you get nervous? Um, you're, you're toey. There's no doubt about that, you're toe. Yeah. But but again, sometimes if you if you have the right attitude and and considerable success at it, as we had, you were fairly confident you were going to come out on the right side of the ledge. And so you were you I think the, the thing was we seemed to have less pressure on ourselves than the opponents did. But if you're but but the fly used to play against Kerry Packer. And that yeah. brought in another another issue. If you go to a casino, the guy with the most money wins. If you go into a lawsuit, the guy with the most money wins. So when you go and play, when the fly and I would play Packer, Packer had the most money and he was bloody hard to beat. Right. And so, so Packer had an advantage. He didn't care about the money. I mean, he gave 10000 bucks to a bloke in a, in a hamburger shop to piss the bloke across the road off. And he, and he and he gave up like a million dollars at the tables at uh, in the casino in Las Vegas because the guy had been nice to him, right? And so money was irrelevant to him, but a million dollars he gave away. so ten thousand was nothing to him, but ten thousand was quite a lot to me.
0: so so playing against Packer, for instance, he, he must have been. I'm just trying to think of the way to say this. He must have been aware of the value of the money to you, even though it meant nothing to him. So that's what he was playing oh, he went for. Thanks. Right.
2: He, a fella called. A fella called Bruce McHugh. who was a bookie. Uh, he won, I think, six million from Packer in a weekend, and he handed his licence in on the Monday because he knew that if he kept gambling with Packer, he'd lose his house, his family, his wife, his cars, and the, and the money he'd accumulate over 25 years because Packer would just out-money him. Mm. And, and when a bookie would go to Packer and say to him, I want to limit your betting, in other words, you can't double up, double up, double up, double up, Packer would say to you, well, I'll go bet with someone who will. Right. So, so you can't beat him. He, 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 but the fly used to play. Him. The fly used to putt him on the putting ground at the Australian, and the fly would putt from twenty feet the packer would putt from five foot and they'd putt for five hundred bucks a putt and the fly used to beat him
0: but so why the would the fly
2: was fearless yeah, but...
0: <laughs> why would the fly i mean why would he put himself in that position i mean obviously for the money, but it's, uh, it must have been the thrill for the fly as well then
2: oh no, well, I think the fly liked to test himself out. But remember this—he'd scun packer at every other distance. He had to get out the twenty foot to packer wouldn't okay. bet. Okay. Because, like, he beat him. He beat him level, and then he went out the ten foot to five foot, then fifteen foot to five foot, finally the twenty foot to five foot. Packer just said, "I give up. Now, so, I'd have to I'd have you halfway down the fairway to beat you," he said.
0: And so, when when something like that was going on, would there people be around watching? Like would it? It sort of feels like it's a scene from a movie, and that you know, it's a, a, a crowd would build and build. Did that happen, or is that just in my, my head?
2: Well, we've got to do the we got to do the movie of the fly because it, it, <laughs> nobody would believe it. Right. You know, nobody would believe the facts, the truth. As the fly said, so he said nobody'll believe the truth. I said, well, that, what, what, is that why you keep lying about it? He said, <laughs> anyway. But the, the, look, the fly was a man. Of incredible self belief, and put just put the numbers in the frame. And right. um, he 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 loved the challenge. Um, and he the way he summed it up to me one day, he said, "Look, he said I go to the dogs. He said, and I'll stand a dog for twenty thousand dollars to lose. He says nothing for me, therefore, to go and play golf and back myself for ten. He said, he said for me, it's just a, it's just another bet. I'm a okay. bookmaker. Yeah. I want to bet." What, did, uh, what was Packer like when he lost? Oh, no, he was – no. He, I think the fact that the fly had something on him was what attracted Packer to the fly. Packer didn't like weak people. He liked strong people. And the fact that the fly would take him on endeared him to Packer and, and he became Packer's uh, gambling advisor on a Saturday. You know, when Packer was skinning the bookies, the fly was providing the info.
0: Right. Okay. Wow.
2: Because the fly had, the fly was a very very good judge, and still is a very good judge of a race. So look back to
0: back to you, John. When so when you're playing with Packer, you know you're coming up to Sydney. You know you're going to be playing with a um, the Lavender Hill mob. Do you get ex- like? Would you be excited about that? Would it, you know? Would you be Sort of chomping at the bit to get there and oh, oh yeah,
2: we're playing the Australian with, you know. Over the moon, over the moon. I used to I, I still dream of the steak and salad we used to get at New South Wales Golf Club. And going down there, we'd arrive in the taxi after we'd been for the haircut at Kig's We would drive to New South Wales. And invariably, Colin McGregor would be on the practice tee teaching. Johnny Rogan, who was a very big, lovely guy, big, big SP bookmaker. Starting price. It's slightly illegal at the time. Anyway, most of these guys were slightly illegal at the time. Yeah. Some of them were really <laughs> illegal, but anyway. So here we would drive up there. There they would be. There they would be on the practice tee, and they'd, they'd welcome you. They were very polite and lovely people. And we would start hitting a few balls, and Cole would come over and have a yarn about golf with me because he was a, he was a very, very competent I think he won the New South Wales Open and two or three other big tournaments. He was a very good player. Might have won in Asia. And anyway, um, might have won in Europe. Anyway, we would go down hit a few balls and he would have a chat and then we'd all go up and have lunch and then out we would go. And we used to have quite a few people watching. I can remember Jack Newton and Brian Jones played behind us at uh, New South one day. They were more interested in our game than they were in theirs. (laughs) Yeah, right. Because they know what you're playing for. Oh, they knew what the scores, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they loved it. I mean, both Jonesy and and Newt were great, great money players. Newt used to play for a hundred thousand in, pounds in, in Great Britain with Hedley Muscroft and Christy O'Connor Jr. John, John, what was his name? Anyway, the, anyway Christy anyway, O'Connor, they used to they would pay on a Monday or Tuesday, they'd go out and play for ten thousand to hundred thousand pounds. Wow. So they knew how to they knew how to play.
0: Yeah, we're gonna to have to wrap it up in a second. On the first tee, when you're playing a match, where do you start? If you, I mean, I'm assuming you want to get into the other person's head. Where's the best place to begin?
2: We didn't do that. We were only we were only interested in what we were doing, and I thought that the courtesy in all those matches was phenomenal. The 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 the, the players play the rules. Sometimes the caddies didn't. That was a bit of an issue. But uh, we told them off if if we thought they did something underwater because they were betting on the side as well, you see. <laughs> on the 16th hole at New South Wales, one day I was playing a second shot downwind and I hit it a bit thin and it was bounded over the green. I thought, oh, God, that's going to be in the wheat, you know. And there was this gnarly sort of heathery rough at the back of the green there and, and, and in quite a few places around New South if you got off the track. Anyway, I, I get up there and my ball's just over you – know, only about a, a yard off the back of the green, just over a little mound. And I had this caddy, Aboriginal caddy called Deffy, and he was deaf and dumb. And I looked at him and I, I said, no, Deffy. <laughs> and the next time we played, I just dribbled over the back of the green. I got up there and the thing was about 10 yards into the wheat. So he <laughs> he didn't like being uh, admonished. Right. <laughs> so anyway, but so the, the attitude uh, – the attitude of the other players in, invariably in that Lavender Hill mob was play the rules, exactly to the rules, and they would pull you up if they thought you you, you uh, made a mistake. And But unbelievable courtesy. And the only, there might have been the odd, there was never a jingling of coins, there was never dropping your club at the top of your backswing, any of that stuff that people talk about, you know. It was more like Stephen Potter's gamesmanship, subtlety. Very subtle. You know, you might pull out a par three, it might be their honour, and you pull out a four iron. It's their honour, remember. And they pull out a four iron at 40 yards over the green, and then you go back to your seven. Right. So that that sort of thing went on. Um, you, might, uh, you, you, you might give them a putt on the second and then on the third, and then on the fifth, on the fifth, you'd make them putt it. It might be slightly left or right down there, so oh, better, we better look at that one. Might only be about 18 inches, and the guy stands over it. And he thinks, "Oh, you know." So, so, so those you you would do those sort of things, but it would always be within the game and within the spirit of the game. Um, but you might be, you know, you know, I didn't spend a great deal of time trying to figure out the mental weaknesses of my opponents. Generally, the guys who were playing for that kind of money didn't have any. Think about it. <laughs> yeah, right. I, mean, right. I mean, Mel Watson, Mal Watson, and uh, Jack McCarthy, they used to they they invited Norman von Nida to bring any pro he liked in the world to the Australian and give them one shot aside each for any amount of money. And Jack and multi, Mel Watson never lost. And they brought down the von brought down Roberto Di Vincenzo. He wasn't a bad player. Yeah, he brought they brought down. Peter Thompson, brought down guy. Wollstone at his best. All of them were, all of those guys could play the game. Direese came down. They whipped them. So those guys trying to get into their area wasn't going to be a very successful act. The only way you got it, the only thing that pissed them off was you taking their money, and they got very pissed off when yeah. I did. Yeah right. All right, John. Listen, terrific. Because going back to one of your other quick Oh yeah, yeah. Go on, go on. on. Going back, to one of, going, back, going back to one of your other questions, Andrew, did I look forward to it? I remember driving out to New South Wales with Johnny Sheargold, who, who I was a travelling, one of my travelling mates, really good travelling mates, and we and he was the pro at the lakes then, and we were driving out there to have a game with the Lavenders. The fly wasn't around, and he said, how much money you got? I said, I got about 50 bucks. He said, how much are you going to bet? I said, oh, I'll probably stand to lose 500. He said, how are you going to pay? He said, I'm not going to lose. <laughs> And I, and I went out there, I went out there on numerous occasions, at least five or ten on my own, didn't have enough money to pay if I lost.
0: So it's attitudinal, It's isn't it? Completely. It's like you're going to, you know, but actually believe you're going to sink the putt, believe you're going to win, believe in yourself.
2: Believe you're going to pitch the ball to a foot from wherever you are. Even if you're behind a bunker in long grass, or in a bunker and in a buried lie, the object of the exercise is to have good intention. If you, It's amazing the shots that a golf pro can hit if he intends to. And, you, you know, look at Tiger. Look at the shot he hit at uh, the Memorial one day above the hole, impossible chip shot, and he held it. And then the shot he held on the 16th at uh, the Masters when he ran it up the bank and back down to the hole. Now, you can't do that mechanically. Mm. You can only do that with – the only thing you can do it with is your intention. So what you've got to do, I believe, in golf is to rely on your subconscious, the one that gets you home from the pub when you're absolutely stonked, that's yeah. the one you rely on.
0: I mean, I think this, it's, that's the title to your book, John. It's the Golf, the Game of Good Intentions.
2: You know, well, it's the movie about the flyer. <laughs> you and I can get that movie going. All it's right. starting to weaken <laughs> –
0: yeah, no, I would I actually think it would be a really, really interesting idea. John, we'll leave it there. Listen, I just want to say thanks very much. I always love talking to you. So um, some really good – I think some really good advice there for, as we come into that thanks, sort you, of match play season. Yeah, he's a ripper, isn't he? John Evans, um, one of New Zealand's best. Look, just great fun. He's a lovely guy. He's lovely to play golf with. He'll talk the whole way around, but everything he says is most definitely worth listening to. That is Golf the Podcast for this week. I don't know where we're headed next week, but wherever it is, I guarantee you this, I'll have an interesting person to chat to about the game of golf. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.